Damn thing pretty. Unless you're talking about the bridge and seaport. Even from the seats in the upper decks, you can see the seashore. Tailgate function with the corny aside. Just walk from the tribal building for the Padres. I'm on it. Yeah, because for the 619, we'll knock you down. Anything for the brown, put it on the town. Started back rocking the brown. Ever since we've been knocking them down. Knocking them down. Baby says she want to go to the game. Taught her how to say Padre gang. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 283 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden here with John Schaefer, San Diego Sports 760, co-host of John and Jim. We got a lot to talk about today. Padres topics, obviously. Manny and the MVP, that is going to be announced later today. I'm sure John will give his reaction Hmm. on air. Um, But a lot to talk about. John, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully you are not mad at me because i had jim on this offseason before you uh i just wanted to get his reaction to the suarez hater stuff because i knew he was uh gonna be mad about that i knew we were gonna disagree about that too uh but i'm glad to have you on now i appreciate you having me ben no you're doing great work as i always say i appreciate you hopping on the radio from time to time again with us on 760 so yeah i'm excited to talk about the padres offseason it was a really good year let's be honest 2022 is a really good year and hopefully 2023 is just as good, if not better. Definitely. All right. So first question here, let's talk about the Padre expectations for 2023. Like regardless of what they do this offseason, because NLCS last year, I don't know if, I mean, it's, we weren't expecting it, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that they got there, getting Tatis back, you bring Martinez back already, bring Suarez back. I think the expectation should be NLCS at least. Like once the NLCS happens, you kind of you hope that you're in a better position than this past season. But if you get there and you're getting there consistently, I think that's what you should be asking for out of this team right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think they're well positioned with um, with putting themselves in a position to get back there. Right. Juan Soto for a full year. Fernando Tatis Jr. hopefully healthy for a majority of the year. I think this rotation is going to be very solid. I hope Nick Martinez fills that number four starter and is more of a primary starter as opposed to a guy that kind of yo-yos back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen. Um, Obviously, it's not easy to get to a National Championship Series, even if you have a great team, because there's a couple of factors at play. If you don't win your division, you got to get through a wildcard round, which the Padres did this year. And then you might have to take on a team that won a division that was sitting, like the L.A. Dodgers or whomever. So it worked out this year, and I thought the Padres, even heading into that Dodgers series, even though they'd lost the season series, we felt good because I thought the rotation stacked up pretty well, the way they were playing with momentum, having beaten the Mets. But I agree, your sentiment and point about getting to the National League Championship Series kind of being the starting point for a successful year next year, I agree with. Just when you consider Machado in year five and Tatis needing a productive year out of him, we don't know about the future with Soto. We don't know about Darvish and Snell in this you know, as they age, as these contracts change. So I feel like they've put all their eggs in the 2023 basket, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and moving to this offseason now, where would you or how would you rank the positional needs remaining for the Padres? I mean, starting pitching, probably a couple relievers, probably a couple starters if we're being honest, um, and left field, first base. I think since they got Nick Martinez back, and you know now you have four starters at least, I think that first base, like that power bat, is probably their number one priority. But then it's still more pitching after that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you could argue either pitching and then first base or first base, then pitching. I'd probably actually lean towards pitching, to be honest. Okay. And I don't, you know, I've gone back and forth on this on the air. Um, you know, do they need to go out and spend to get another, another starter? I think they do. And I'd still prefer like a six-man rotation, even to start the year. And that six-man may be coming from an internal choice, whether it's Morahone or Weathers or Kinnear or Jay Groom, like give someone that opportunity to prove it like Mackenzie Gore did in the first half of 2022, or even Nick Martinez did coming over from Japan and the way he pitched. So, you know, I think they need a fifth starter, to be honest, as in from an external fifth starter. And I don't yeah. think they'll overpay for it. I don't think ultimately it's going to be someone like Kodai Senga. I hope I'm wrong. But I think the competition for him is going to be so significant. I think he's going to get, you know, four or five years. I think he'll get 14, 15, 16 a year. And it's like, is that going to be within Preller and Siler's budget. So I still think they get a starter in that $10 million range. And then, I, you know, they'll address first base. I mean, the question is, what do they do with it, right? Is it, is it a platoon position? Can they afford to platoon it? Is it um, the return of a, a Josh Bell or a Brandon Drury? Drury gives you flexibility. Could Will Myers be back at a flyer deal? Is it Jose Abreu for one or two years? So I think there's some good options. Um, so obviously they'll address it. So I'd probably start with, Pitching, because we know they're going to land one of four or five first basemen. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm curious to see who they land, like you said, either in their rotation or in the back of their bullpen as well. Yeah, with pitching, do you think that that five starter they'd want multiple years maybe? Or maybe it's a four starter that they bring in and have Martinez mm -hmm. be the five? Because we know 2024, Darvish isn't guaranteed. They're trying to work on an extension. Snell's not guaranteed, and he's a Boris guy. So I would think that he's not going to be back i mean he could be uh but maybe they want a multiple year guy because right now it's it's joe musgrove as the guy for 2024 and because nick martinez he has the opt-out i know they can bring him back on the club options by the way jim does not understand the contract at all um <laughs> so maybe we can help him out here yeah. but yeah it's i think right now i mean musgrove's the only guy so i think it, they should be at least looking into multi-year deals with someone there yeah, I think it's a very good point. I'd say the other thing to keep in mind is at some point, you're probably going to need to develop some of these younger players to be options for you in your rotation. And maybe it's more than just one. I mean, they've invested heavily in Adrian Morahone. I know he's coming off injury, and it's a lot to ask for him to be like this starter that you're counting on maybe in 2023, but maybe he is someone you're counting on in 2024. And then again, Weathers is a first-round pick. Um, you know, Jake Room, they've invested a lot in. When you consider the money, they're still paying on Eric Hosmer. We'll see if Kinnear can fully develop here or not. But I agree with that sentiment. Again, I don't love necessarily giving the third and fourth and fifth year. I think it made sense, obviously, with Suarez, considering how valuable he was. The Martinez deal essentially is a, a one-year deal to start, so I don't think there's any concern with that being a three-year deal overall. Um, but to your point, I think maybe the best-case scenario is finding a starter maybe on a two-year deal that guarantees you not just 2023, but 2024 as well. Yeah. What would be your... Padres like dream offseason I mean right now it's starting like the dream offseason bringing back Suarez bringing back Martinez I'm a big Abreu guy Mitch Hanniger um, I mean Profar I'd be fine bringing him sure. back but if it's multiple years or it's going to be multiple years but if they overpay for those years I'm, I'm fine with letting him go uh, but like Hanniger for me is one uh, I'd be fine with Mancini, but like Abreu, Hanniger, those are two names for me. What are like your dream names? Well, it'd definitely be Senga. 
I mean, there's no okay. question it would be Kodai Senga. I think he's a frontline starter in the big leagues. Um, you know, I know he's got a lot of innings on his arm. I know he's not young, but he's also not old. Um, and I just feel like he's going to translate well. You look at some of these guys that over the last decade plus, and they do translate well, guys that have good numbers in the Nippon Professional Baseball League. There's no guarantee, just like there's no guarantees with free agents in baseball in, in the big leagues. But I think Senga it would be an absolute home run. And to your point about you just having Musgrove under contract for 2024, well, Senga would be a four or five year deal. Right. You'd basically have your number one and number two moving into the second half of Machado's deal, assuming Machado's back for the second half of his, his deal. You'd also have that number one and number two for potentially the final year of Juan Soto. Hopefully not, but potentially the final year of Juan Soto in a Padres uniform. So, you know, I think someone like Senga, I don't think like a Rodon is as realistic, to be honest. I think he's going to get more money. So, I mean, it, it, my dream scenario is they go out and get another starter to bolster this thing. You can never have too much of it. I think they were really exposed in game four of the National League Championship Series. It wasn't their fault, but not having that fourth starter available in that spot that was reliable, whether it was Clevenger and I, really set them back. They still were in position to, to be all right in that series, leading in the middle of game four, leading late in game five. So you can only imagine if they had another starter or two. So I, I think the, the dream scenario is get better with pitching because I think the offense is going to be fine. You add Tatis to it. You get Soto, who's going to be much better in 2023. You'll add pieces around these parts and they'll have enough offense. It's do they have that fourth and fifth starter in long series uh, that they didn't have in 2022. Mm -hmm. With the offense though, like let's say the first base position, would you rather have the Padres get Jose Abreu or Josh Bell? You know, that's a really good question. It's kind of like, it's almost like it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's subjective because it's a sports, you know, it's almost like saying, do you like sushi or do you like pizza? I mean, both are going to do things a little bit differently. Although Bell wasn't necessarily this prototypical power guy. Like mm -hmm. Bell is actually a little bit like a Bray where he's got an ability to get on base and hit and hit for average. We didn't really see it as much in San Diego. He's also obviously got the ability to slug. Like he's got, he's got serious power. We didn't necessarily see it. Um, you know, I, I would be content with bringing Bell back and hoping that he's able to replicate his first half as opposed to his second half and get the comfort and familiarity return with Soto and a lot of his teammates. And I would trust in Bell. Now, I don't know what he's going to get here. You know, I would think he could get multiple years. I would think Abreu could get multiple years. And I'm talking about two years, not three, four years. You know, if they're comparable contracts, I think you could argue either. Abreu is not necessarily a power hitter at this point. If he didn't hit for power at the White Sox, I don't know if he's going to do it with the Padres at Petco Park. But if he can be a 850 OPS, hit 300 guy, um, and I think both of those players are capable of, do, of doing that, I guess you're just asking, you know, which do you prefer, prefer more? I mean, Bell's a little younger. Abreu's a little older. Um, Bell maybe has a little more slug. Both can hit and hit for power. I, I think I'd take maybe the better of the of the deals if I was AJ Preller. Can, get, can I get one on a one-year deal? Can I get one on a two-year deal for less than the other. That might be my preference Preference if I was Preller. Right, because what I've seen from you know people just making predictions, Abreu probably like two years, 15, mm -hmm. 17 mil per year. And then Bell, I've seen some people think like three years for 40 million. So mm, that's for a you, big, that's a big number. That's what I'm saying. Like three years I, for Bell, I don't know if I want to do that, where if it's two years for Abreu, Maybe if they're comparable players, I'd probably want the shorter term there with the first baseman. Mm -hmm. I know, like I starting agree. pitching, starting pitching, you're saying, yeah, 
if we could have Senga for years and years and years. But with first base, with those two guys in particular, it's not like you're, it's not like Goldie or guys like that where you know they're going to perform for years and years. With Bell and uh, Abreu, I just don't know if that's a guarantee for like three years. I would take the shorter deal to your point, and I think you only have to look at the Will Myers and the Eric Hosmer contracts to see yeah. how they really handcuff you. And as you get later in those deals, and if they don't produce, it puts you in a spot that's not desirable. Three years isn't eight years like Hosmer or even five years like Myers was. But you know, if you don't hit from day one, and all of a sudden you're already talking about the deal and how, well, what are they going to do in 2024? What are they going to do in 2025? I'm with you. If I had a chance between a two-year deal or a three-year deal with one of those two players, I would take the shorter deal. I think that's a good point. Um, do you read any, I don't know if you saw this, but do you read into anything when Dennis Lynn said, I think it was today in his mailbag, that it's not the end of the world if the Padres don't go get a first baseman? Like, do you really think they're thinking about having Cronenworth play first base and have Tatis at short and Kim at second? Or, you know, Tatis at second, Kim at short? Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, the way I look at it is, First of all, we know this. I mean, Tatis isn't even available for the first, is it 20 games? 20 games yeah, a year. I mean, it's one-eighth of the season that he's not available. And when he returns, it's not like you're just going to plug him in immediately to play 140 games in the field, you wouldn't think, right? So yeah. if we're being honest with each other, I think an amazing scenario, if you're a Fernando Tatis Jr. fan or if you're Tatis, is let's say he even played like 100 games at short somehow next year, plus DH 30 something times. That'd be an amazing year. You know, he's, he's healthy. I'm basically saying, but yeah. I, I assume there's going to be an acclimation process to get him in. So knowing that I just don't, I think you're getting a little too cute by moving Cronenworth over to first. He doesn't necessarily provide the power mm -hmm. or the slug or the OPS that a first baseman typically would have. Um, you know, Kim's been good at short. Why is he necessarily going to second? Right. Uh, why is Tatis going to second if he's played it short and he's coming off multiple injuries? So it's like, is it a possibility? I think it's a possibility. The reason I would consider it if I'm AJ Preller is if I'm so handcuffed by the CBT number and if I'm, I have some edict to only get to a certain number and I can spend that money more creatively elsewhere and I still have the ability to have Tatis and Machado and Cronenworth and Kim on my infield. Like That sounds mm -hmm. good in theory, but it's very trusting, I think, of both Cronenworth's ability to play first all year and hit for power to some extent. And then also Tatis's ability to play in the field 75% of the time once he's active late April. And that just might be a little bit of a stretch if I'm AJ Preller and I know about the shoulder and I know about the wrist. So knowing all that, I would take the, the, um, the guarantee. I would plug in a first baseman, even if it's at, you know, a, a smaller rate, you know, if, if it's not a guy making 15 or 17 million a year, I still need the guarantee of an everyday first baseman as opposed to trusting Tatis and or Cronenworth to play those positions all year long, I guess is how I look at it. Yeah. And we talk about Tatis and, you know, him not being the health guarantee, right. With the yep. injuries and stuff. How about Hassan Kim too? I mean, he stayed healthy, but yeah. we know he goes guy. all out. Yeah. He goes all out. He's always, whenever he's stealing second base or something, great point. it's like, Oh man, is he hurt? He just goes all out. So I was surprised that he didn't get hurt from that great catch that he made against the Nationals on that Sunday day game yep. this past year. So, or how about the sliding into home plate? Either. Was it yeah, sliding yep. into home plate and he got like hit in the ribs? Is that in the postseason? I mean, he yeah. always feels that you're right. He's, he's 
He's an amazingly reliable player, but when you consider his size, I mean, he gets everything. He gets every ounce out of his size. He's a great, like, pound-for-pound player. Like, they'd say, like, Allen Iverson's the best basketball player at his size. I mean, Hassan Kim gets a lot out of his body, um, but it is something to consider that he could miss time because of the way he plays the game. That, that's, a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, how about Jerks and Profart? How mm-hmm. high are you willing to give, if you were AJ or Peter, how much of an AAV would you be willing to give him to bring him back? Because some things I've been seeing, like $15 million a year, I'm not doing that for Jericho nope. Profar. No, I wouldn't go to where he's going to get, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's going to get it from someone. He's still a relatively young player, right, early 30s, coming off productive years for a good team. He should make more than he is making. And I don't think he's going to get it here. And if I was AJ Preller, I would not reach for Jericho Profar. I think the likely landing spot for Fernando Tatis Jr. is in the outfield or, you know, as likely of a landing spot for Tatis as the outfield than the infield. So knowing I have Tatis, hoping I can keep him healthy um, and not wanting to spend $15 million for a serviceable left fielder, but not a all-star caliber left fielder, in my opinion. He had a very nice year. Take nothing away from his year. He helped the Padres get to the spot that they were in. He played good defense. He was a productive offensive player. I don't know if I can count on that replicating, and I definitely don't want to pay twice as much as I was paying a year ago and give him, again, multiple years. So uh, I think Profar is going to end up elsewhere, and I think if I'm A.J. Preller, I'm probably okay with that because I don't need to reach to pay him more than he's worth. Yeah, um, and do you have, like, a preference? We've been talking about Tatis, obviously, in outfield. Do you have a preference of where he plays? I know, you know, on the radio you were asking me about what. how do you think that you know, the positional thing will work out. It's, I think it's dumb to talk about where should he play. We don't know because of the roster. I think that will dictate it. But a preference, do you think he stays more healthy in the outfield? I do. Um, you know, I think he's kind of a tailor-made outfielder considering his athleticism and size. I think he could be an outstanding gold glove caliber player. I don't know if it happens immediately. And we have to remember Tatis, like, it's not just injury, it's time. Like you ask anyone to take 19 months off from the highest level of a profession or sport. And I think that we need to be reasonable with what he's going to show us right away. Now he's this amazingly special player. I mean, maybe from day one, he's, uh, you know, an elite fielder and an elite hitter from day one next year. I really think he's capable offensively of being the hitter we've seen. It might take a little bit of time. I'm counting on him to be a 900 plus OPS player in 2023. You know, I think ultimately he could settle in beautifully to be like a center fielder. I don't know if it's next year. Um, I'm not opposed to this idea of Soto and left, Tatis and right. I prefer to have right. the better um, athlete in right than left. Um, absolutely at Petco Park, just the way it kind of – it just feels more cavernous in that right-right center gap, and balls were hit over Juan Soto's head repeatedly in the second half of the year. And Juan Soto's not a good defensive outfielder, and that's not his fault. They knew that when they got him. So I think I'd probably prefer to have Soto and left, Grisham in center and Tatis in right to start 2023. Like if that was just, if I could snap my fingers and do that, I'd be excited to see how that would work out if I was Preller or if I was Bob Melvin. And um, I think it's a, it's a significant upgrade, you know, no, taking nothing away from Jerks and Profar, but if you have Tatis and Soto in your outfield, uh, you've made a significant upgrade. And I think you've probably upgraded your, your defense because um, right. Tatis has a chance to be a really good defensive player. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, now, Manny, with the MVP thing today, uh, yeah. are we fools to think that he has any chance to win? Because I think after today, 
and let's say Paul Goldschmidt wins, and mm. I think I'm gonna. This is gonna be my reaction. I'm gonna mm. be like, well, we know what the award is. It's not the MVP. It's the MOP. It's the most outstanding player because I think the most valuable player is obviously Manny Machado this year. The most outstanding player, the most outstanding stats. Okay, you could give that to Paul Goldschmidt. Arenado had some better offensive numbers than Manny, but most valuable, it, it's Manny. You said it exactly right. Um, I don't think we're foolish to think that he could win it. I really don't. Now, do I think at the end of the day he will? No, but if you consider the totality of his work and what you just said, what he meant to his team, there is a real reason to believe that voters are going to understand that as well. With all that being said, it feels a little bit like a Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown situation mm -hmm. where Machado oftentimes is considered a top three defensive player or a top five offensive player. And for whatever reason, comes up short, right? Whether it's to an all-star team or to a gold glove or in an MVP award. Um, I think you're right. Now, there's a level of bias. I watch every single game that Machado plays. Um, I think when you consider the circumstances of what he did in the absence of Tatis, that's the reason for me he would absolutely warrant a first-place vote over Goldschmidt and Arenado because they had each other. And that's not really their fault. But I do believe Manny Machado gets like the extra credit or the additional – like that's the separator for me. These are all top three caliber players that they were voted as such. They're the finalists. Um, now, you're right. I mean, I think it's a, such an analytical statistical sport that statistically Machado did not have the best year of those three. I think that's a factual statement. But – do the Padres put themselves in the position to finish the year like they did without Machado? No. I mean, we'd be foolish to think that. I don't think they're a playoff team. Without Manny Machado, I think the Cardinals would have found their way in in the absence of one of those two players. So, yeah, I think Manny Machado absolutely has an amazing case for MVP. I think I'm prepared to be let down, but I'm also no. prepared to say that Manny Machado had as good of a year as those other two players, and without Manny Machado, the Padres aren't in a position that they ultimately were in this year. Do you think he's going to be second place in front of Arenado? It feels Man. like to me Goldschmidt's going to win. Manny second with Arenado third. I, I kind of, it, it, you know, I could see that. I feel like this is the time finally where Machado finishes over Arenado. And I think the reason that that would happen is because voters might say, you know what, Goldschmidt is the most deserving. And you know what, for once, I'm going to put Machado second. You know, because it's like, if Goldschmidt's going to win it, if he's going to get a lot of the first place votes, Right. And he's teammates with Arenado. I could see people saying, you know what, this is how I'm going to justify it. I think Machado had a really nice year. I think Goldschmidt's the best player. I think Arenado's great. But let me give Machado the edge here because neither are going to win it. So I'll put Machado second, Arenado third. I do ultimately think that's the way it shakes out. Again, I think there's like this inside straight draw, so to speak, for Machado to win it. Like if these guys split votes, but it's not really like that. You're not making one vote. You're voting for first and second and yeah. third. Yep. So they're not splitting votes. You might get some ones and some twos for those two players, but I don't think you're getting twos and threes because they're splitting votes necessarily. So right. I think I think ultimately Goldschmidt wins this award. Um, and I don't know if it's better or worse that you know that Machado finishes second as opposed to third, but you know it'll be nice to see him finish over Arenado if that is the case. I guess. Yeah, I guess that can be a positive from it. Um, yeah. So this is kind of more of a San Diego sports question here. Sure. Um, what do you think's a better chance of happening? Manny winning the MVP tonight or San Diego State going to the Pac-12? Oh, that's a really good question, man. So 
I mean, okay, what are the what are the odds? I mean, even if everything was even on Machado, you'd say one and three here because Arenado's yeah. got a legitimate case, even though Goldschmidt right. probably has a better case. But in actuality, it's probably less than one and three that Machado wins the MVP. So I'd say the Aztecs. Yeah, because I think there's... State because the meetings today with the Regents and yeah. it just feels like even e- there's there's the you know the possibility right that even if UCLA they stay maybe they still have that it would be the 12th team for San Diego State to come but I, I still think like what's the point of the UC Regents rejecting this and saying no you cannot come uh, you're not going to the Big Ten you have to stay here. Why would they want to? Why would the Pac-12 have that conference that doesn't, or have that team that doesn't want them in the conference? That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, this I know about conference realignment. It's never you never know until you know, right? Mm -hmm. There's been some really odd timing or decisions in the last twenty years with this. I mean, like Rutgers and Maryland to the Big Ten, nobody would have called. Going back to when, I mean, you would have been who knows how long ago this was. I mean, you would have been a kid, but Syracuse and who else to the ACC? I mean, it was kind of it was some out, out of left field stuff that has happened. This San Diego State thing is kind of like it kind of smacks you in the face. It's like if, if there's no SC in UCLA, and we'll see about UCLA. I personally believe the best chance for San Diego State to get to the Pac-12 is UCLA to the Big Ten because it creates more of a hole in Southern California. And you could argue if they keep UCLA, well, maybe we just stay at 11. We kind of have Southern California. Maybe 12 would be better, but we don't want to dilute the money for the other 11 schools. So let's just stay at 11. In the absence of UCLA, I just don't see a path forward with the Pac-12 without Southern California. And San right. Diego State's got the facilities and the winning in football and basketball. So, you know, I, I I personally believe it's somewhat likely with time for San Diego State to get an invite to the Pac-12 or the Big 12. I just, you just don't know on time. Is it days, weeks, months, even longer than that? Um, but again, to answer that question, I think at the end of the day, I think San Diego State's more likely to end up in a power league than Manny Machado is to win this award tonight. Although I hope we get both. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> so ESPN put out this thing today, like dream 30 yeah. for 30. And yours was about the 30 and two Aztecs. Obviously the pandemic, you know, stopped the NCAA tournament or canceled it. Uh, Malachi Flynn told me when I was in New York that he mm-hmm. thought they would have won. Um, mm-hmm. So Padres related. If you could have a dream thirty for thirty Padres, what would it be? I said. What'd you say? The the trade deadline this year, where just take me I like that through everything. Preller with the negotiations with Mike Rizzo about Soto. Uh, he probably talked with Boris too. And if there's going to be a possibility of an extension, the two thirty a.m. thing where he falls asleep yeah. talking to the scout, having to trade Hosmer twice, having to trade or trying to trade Hosmer and then trading him, having to trade Voight because of Hosmer and what that conversation's like, and Voight's preparing for the game, and then he has to get traded. Like, all of that is fascinating to me. So just, that's what I would do, at least recent Padres stuff. Uh, What what would be for you? Maybe 2021, like uh, the collapse last year? Like, what would it be for you? A couple of things come to mind. One is maybe more insightful for Padres fans as opposed to like a national audience, which 3030 is probably trying to strike a chord, right? It's not just a localized story. It's like, how does a local story become nationally relevant? I do think AJ Preller's flop in the 2015 winter meetings is pretty okay. phenomenal slash fascinating with the moves he made and then selling off immediately, uh, firing a manager, selling off parts. I think the 2015 winter meetings in San Diego would be kind of interesting, like ushering in the era of A.J. Preller. 
Um, in addition to that, I would not be opposed at all to seeing like a breakdown of game five of the National League Championship Series. Um, you know, just these decisions that are made like in the dugout, the decision to keep Robert Suarez on the mat. Like you look at it from the Phillies perspective, talk to Bryce Harper. I was surprised that Suarez stayed in. I, where they give talked, their full, honest, yeah, like, exactly. Padres, where Preller's like, no, yeah. I wanted Hater in the game. Like, lie detector. Yeah, if you got test. that in 10 years when Preller yeah. was working for another organization or Bob Melvin was retired and Bob Melvin mm -hmm. gave his side of the story and A.J. Preller gave his and you heard from, um, you know, Bryce Harper and and Dave Dombrowski or whomever, I, I think it would be pretty compelling television. Um Yeah, I mean, the, the one other thing, like you said, the collapse, as opposed to the collapse, I'd say that the, the the blow up in St. Louis, so to speak, the Tatis mm -hmm. Machado right. moment, how it got to that, what transpired to allow that to occur, which at the end of the day is nothing. It's professional sports. It, there are heated moments in basketball, football, yep. baseball. I mean, we know this brothers mm -hmm. fight, literally brothers fight and brothers can love each other, you know? So I think that's what it was, but I think it's pretty fascinating um, that that did occur. And when you consider the circumstances, they're playing bad baseball, you know, Tatis is putting extra pressure maybe on himself. Machado becomes a leader in this moment, right? Like yeah. that would be pretty fascinating as well. But the Padres are pretty a pretty good case for a 30 for 30 because like they're a nationally relevant baseball team in a quote unquote small market. And how did that happen? Is it AJ Preller? Is it Peter Seidler? Is it a confluence of the Chargers leaving? Right. There's that aspect. I, the whole San Diego sports story, that might be my story. How the Padres became the Padres in the absence of the Chargers, like this new era of the Padres is, you know, a lot of it has to do with maybe the, the absence of an, a National Football League team here as well. Right. Yeah. Another thing is like the Hosmer signing too. like who <laughs> yeah. wanted that, who didn't want like, right. was that Fowler? Was that Preller? Right. Was it? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Like, I think we have an idea of who it was, but yep. like really like diving into that. Um, yeah, that, that would be interesting. Uh, by the way, this episode brought to you by Gaglione Bros, famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries. Gaglionebros.com is the website. John, uh, how is Jim doing? Coming back from Philly. Uh, you know, um, he's hated, he hated in Philly. He's trashing right. San Diego. San Diego. And, uh, yeah. Doesn't know Nick Martinez's contract. Uh, how's that going? Well, like I like to say, and I say it with all due respect and love, Jim is an idiot, but he's not really. Um, Jim's good, man. Working with Jim is fun. It really is. I mean, as you know, you can hear our rapport on air on the wrap-up show. We're doing a wrap-up show, by the way, at 11 a.m. So in about 30 minutes talking about Manny Machado. We took about a week off because he was in Philadelphia. But um, yeah, Jim returned from Philadelphia where he went to see the Eagles and like literally blew their perfect season against the Washington Commanders. So yeah. he's a jinx. And he returned and then proceeded to say, that like Philadelphia food is way better than like any food in San Diego, which big I found to the, be pretty interesting. Big on the pizza take. there for some reason. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, he's like, this pizza is incredible. I'm like, Philadelphia is not like known as America's best pizza city. I think it's good. There's a lot of Italians in Philadelphia. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, but it's not New York. Like when you think about right, it's not New York. It's not Chicago. Right. So he's dying on this. Philadelphia has the best like bagels hill as well, and I'm like, it's also not New York. And he's like, bro, he's like comparing pizza in Philly to pizza in San Diego. There's no comparison. I'm like, are you sure? Because I've spent a lot of time in both cities. And I do not think that Philadelphia is like regarded as this great pizza city compared to San Diego. So he's had some very interesting takes since returning. But that's kind of his style. Yeah, definitely. And he was wearing all the Eagles stuff. Yeah, he was wearing oh, Eagles. Oh, but, but, but go Niners, you know. 
Dude, he's he's lost. He's so confused. That's his team. That's his team. So if the Eagles do well, he can say, let's go Eagles. And then if the Niners do well, oh, well, I'm a Niners fan. What's he going to say if the Eagles beat the Niners in the playoffs? Exactly. I mean, it's basically his fault because he's been wearing Eagles gear around town because of his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this was fun. I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on. Great job as the uh, webcast announcer, too. Webcast announcer for San Diego Best State. Best webcast announcer out there. Yeah, San Thanks, Diego man. State going to be in Maui uh, this coming week. That'll be fun. Uh, so thank you so much for joining the show. Ben, I appreciate it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. We enjoy Talking Friars. Uh, make sure to support Talking Friars and Ben Fadden. And uh, again, we appreciate you joining us on the radio uh, from time to time as well. Yep, my pleasure. All right, episode 283 of Talking Friars. That is it for John and Ben. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you later. See ya.